starting a new series this morning titled Time Machine. What would you do if you could go back in time? If you could spend a few moments with any person in history, who would you choose? If you could rewind the story of your life, what is the, what is the one detail that you, would, that you would want to tweak? What is the one thing that you would want to change? If you knew then what you know now, how would life be different? Well, the reality is this. There is no time machine. But here's what we do know. God's word says this. It says, if anyone be in Christ, they're a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. God's word says this. It says that his mercies are new every morning. So a better question is not what would I do if I could go back in time? A better question is what will I do with the time that I have? Here's what we're told. Scripture tells us this. It says, therefore as we have opportunity... As we have opportunity, that's our scripture for this morning in our 40 days of, uh, of, of, of prayer focus, our 40 days to Easter prayer focus. No doubt you saw it in your booklet this morning. You got the email today. You've already received the text message. Therefore, as we have opportunity, opportunity, it's an interesting word, opportunity, opportunity. It comes from the Latin, ab portu, ab portu. And here's, here's, here's where we get that word. Before modern time, when the ships would come into the harbor, they couldn't dredge the harbor, and so the harbor basically was the lay of the land. And ships, especially larger ships, when they would come into the harbor, what they would have to do is they would have to wait for high tide. Okay, or what they would call the flood tide to be able to come into port. Or, conversely, to go out to sea. And so they would sit and they would wait, ab portu, for the timing of the tide to go to port. Ab portu, Latin ab portu. It's where we get the English word opportunity. Waiting, watching, seizing the moment. Shakespeare understood this when he wrote in his play, Julius Caesar. And he made this statement. He said, there's a tide in the affairs of men, which taken at the flood leads on to fortune, omitted all the voyage of their life is bound in shallows and in miseries. And he makes this, this powerful statement. He says, on such a full sea are we now afloat. And we must take the current 
We must take the current when it serves or lose our ventures. I'm convinced of this. I'm convinced that what, what Shakespeare wrote centuries ago is a great word for the church today. There is a tide in the affairs of men which taken at the flood leads on to fortune. There's a moment that God gives us. There are opportunities that present themselves. And when we seize that moment, when we take that opportunity, what we find is this. We find blessing. We find strength. We find destiny. I'm convinced that for you, to today is a day of flood tide. That today is an opportunity, an opportunity for you. And not just for you, but for the people that God has called you to be an influencer of. There is a tide in the affairs of men which taken at flood leads on to fortune, omitted all the voyage of their life is bound in shallows and in miseries. Missed opportunities. Missed moments. I, I, want, I want to take a few moments this morning and, and I, want to, I want to draw your attention to a powerful story that Jesus tells in Luke chapter 12. I want you to take your Bibles and I want you to turn there. In Luke chapter 12, Jesus is speaking to a large crowd. And in this, this crowd, as Jesus is speaking and, and, and teaching powerful principles, right? So Jesus is, there's this large crowd that's, that, that, has, that has amassed, and in the midst of Jesus speaking and Jesus sharing profound truth, this guy shouts something out, which that in and of itself is amazing to me. Now, I will tell you that I've had those moments. I've had those moments uh, where I've been as a, as a participant, as somebody in the crowd, listening to a speaker and surprised when an individual from the audience would, would, would share some outburst. Uh, I've, I've, had it, I've had it happen uh, when I was speaking, right? I've had that person that has, that has said something at an inopportune time. Those moments where somebody says amen when it seems kind of odd to say amen. I don't know if you've ever been in that, in that situation, right? Where, where, here's an example where I would say this. You know what? I woke up in the middle of the night last night and I was really sick. Amen, brother. Really? Why are you amening that? That's kind of frightening to me, actually, right? Oh, I just felt horrible. Well, preach it like you ain't never preached it. Preach it. What? We've all been there, right? We've all been in that situation. And uh, I, I've, had, I've had interesting moments where folks have thought that, you know, Sunday morning is full participation and they want to uh, answer questions or make comments or add, add to the sermon. Uh, and uh, I, uh, when I was a youth pastor, this was not, I was not speaking, one of our other staff were speaking, and, uh, and he made this comment. He said, what is that? What is that four-letter word that embodies a principle that ever should be in the life of every believer? And, and a gentleman that was sitting kind of in this section over here, he, he shouts out, faith! Yeah. 
for some of you, it'll take a moment to sink in. Um, th- th- that was back in the day. Remember back in the day when pastors, when we'd have to sit up on the thrones up here, right? And uh, the Holy See. And uh, so I'm sitting on the platform and I'm looking. I'm the youth pastor in the church and I can see our teens going, F-A-I. And I'm going, just let it, let it go. <laughs> But this is what happens. Jesus is speaking and he's sharing profound truths. And this guy shouts out and goes, hey Jesus, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. And Jesus goes, really? Really? (laughs) Jesus replies, this is uh, Luke 12, verse 14. Jesus replied, man, who am I uh, appointed, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? Uh, Then he said to them, He said, watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Recognize this, Jesus says, that the enemy is constantly looking for opportunities to come in and bring influence into your day and bring distraction to your journey. To bring confusion to your understanding. And to rob you of the destiny that God has for you. Think about the moment. Jesus is talking about these things of eternal consequence. Jesus is presenting an eternal perspective. And in the midst of this, this guy yells out, Jesus, tell my brother to share his stuff with me. Now, it's easy for us with perspective to go, what? Seriously? That's what you're going to be focused on in this moment? And yet, if we were to be completely honest, the confession of of missed opportunities and shallow perspective in our life that list probably would be much longer than what we care to admit if I could go back and do it over again if I if I could change One thing. Jesus tells them this story, tells them this parable. It's it's often referred to as the parable of the rich fool. He says this, starting in verse 16. It says, and he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man produced a good crop. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. This is an interesting dilemma, isn't it? The the ground of a certain rich man, it produced a crop. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crop. Here's, Here's what we can be sure of. Number one, this man was not a man in great need. How do we know that? Because what does scripture describe him as? It says, a certain rich man. 
So this is not a man that, 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 is, that is living in squalor. This is not a man that's living in need. This is not a man that's living in lack. This is a man that has enough. Not only does he have enough, he has more than enough. He's living with margin in his life. And it says, the ground of a certain rich man produces a crop. And what is, his, what is his first response to that? His first response to that isn't to acknowledge what God has done. His first act is not to acknowledge the blessing that comes his way. His first act is not to go, listen, I have more than enough. Why has God brought this blessing into my life? No, his first response is, wait. I have no place to store my crops. His priority is profoundly personal. It's profoundly personal. He's he's convinced, number one, that it's his responsibility to make sure that he has everything he needs. When we understand that God's word says, and my God shall supply all of my needs according to his riches and glory. He's also convinced that everything that he receives is about him. And third, he's convinced that it's because of who he is that the ground has produced this crop. His focus is all me, 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 me. Your priorities will determine your direction. And your direction will determine your destiny. Because friend, destiny is not a matter of chance, it's a matter of choice. The choices that you make determine your destiny. Let me say that again. Destiny is not a matter of chance, it's a matter of choice. And the choices that you make determine your destiny. That is my life quote. If you've been around here, you've probably heard me say it before. If I was asked to be given a life quote, it would be that. Destiny is not a matter of chance, it's a matter of choice. The choices that you make determine your destiny. Now I want you to know that's not original with me. But it's a powerful statement. Destiny is not a matter of chance, it's a matter of choice. The choices that you make determine your destiny. But listen, they don't just determine your destiny, they also have an influence on the destiny of everyone that God has positioned you, uniquely and wonderfully positioned you to be an influencer of. What does our scripture for today, our focus scripture in our 40 days Easter per focus say? Therefore, as you have opportunity... Do good to everyone, especially those 
connected to the household of faith. The Bible tells us that we're supposed to bear one another's burdens and, and that when we do that, we fulfill the law of Christ. But that's not the disposition of this rich fool. The Bible discourages us from using the term fool when describing an individual. And yet, I don't know of a better way to describe this person. I think the heading at the top in my Bible says it well, the parable of the rich fool. Why? Because his, his priorities are messed up. His priorities speak of, of selfishness. His, his priorities speak of godlessness. Then he said, verse 18, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. We go from having an understanding of his priorities to seeing his plan. And his plan is in response to his passion. Okay? And what is his passion? It says this. And I will, I will say to myself, you have plenty of good things laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. I think that what's described in Luke chapter 12 is the American dream. I, I do. I, I think that's what, what's described in Luke chapter 12. I think it's the American dream. I, I'm well clothed. I'm well fed. I have a great roof over my head. I have means of transportation to get from point A to point B. I have... Of the things that I actually need, I have more than enough. And yet, my dilemma is this. It's amassing enough extra so I can retire early and take it easy. It really is the American dream, right? If, if we didn't have the rest of the story recorded here, we would say, this guy's operating in wisdom. He's making sure that he has substantial margins. But God said to him, you fool, this very night, your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? And Jesus adds this epilogue to the story. This is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for himself, 
but is not rich toward God. Wow, it's an indictment. Isn't it? It's a massive indictment. See, we, we see in the life of this rich fool, we see him sucked in by, by misguided priorities, which, which causes him to develop a selfish plan. To respond to temporary passion. I, uh, on many levels, I, I can relate to this story. In In 1972, my father was successful in business. Um, We lived in an area uh, where Mississippi River, Iowa, and Illinois come together, the area called the Quad Cities. And and, and my father was a well-regarded businessman in the area and and, and had his hand in in several different ventures. And uh, and we lived uh, not wealthy, but we lived very comfortably. But my, my father said, you know what, I think, I think I can do better. In fact, I see favor in some of the things we're doing in business. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to tear down my barns and I'm going to build bigger ones. My, uh, my father sold all of his business interests in Illinois and he... He moved first to Florida, and then he moved his family to Florida. And my father moved in November of 1972. He moved his family in March of 1973. My father died September 29th of 1973. And when he died, our family lost everything. And so we went from being financially comfortable to being destitute poor. Why? My my father was a man who was always searching for that little bit bigger. That little bit better. He didn't he didn't intend for his children to grow up in poverty. It was not his plan to leave us fatherless and destitute. It wasn't his dream that his widow would go hungry many nights to make sure that the little bit of food that was on the table would satisfy the hunger of his children. He just, he just had mixed up priorities that led to a, an unwise plan that, 
that was a response to, to unselfish, our, our, our selfish passion. It put his family in a horrible plight. I think if my, if my father could do it all over again, I, I think that there are some changes that he would make in his life. I think he would say, spend more time with my children and less time trying to make a dollar. I would, I would recognize this issue that godliness with contentment is great gain. And more than that, what I would realize is this. The greatest resource that I have is not my stock portfolio, my real estate holdings, or my bank balance. The greatest resource that I have is time. I think my father would say this. I think he would say, I would have invested my time very differently. See, Jesus tells a story of the, of the rich fool. And he goes on to say this. He says, therefore I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, what you will wear. Life is more than food and the body more than clothes. Consider the ravens. They don't sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn. Yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable you are than birds. Who of you by worrying can add a single hour to his life? Since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? Consider how the lilies grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? Do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it. For the world runs after all such things, and your Father knows that you need them. But seek his kingdom, and these things will be given you as well. And listen to this. I love this statement Jesus makes. Luke 12, 32. Don't be afraid, little flock. For your Father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Here's what I know. I know that all across the sanctuary this morning, I know so many people that are watching via live stream today. That you live your life pressured. You go through each day stressed. You're running around frantic. You ask yourself regularly, where did all the time go? And your schedule is filled with all of this activity, and yet it doesn't seem like you're gaining any traction. It doesn't seem like you're taking any ground. 
for others. There is, there's production. There's advancement. There is blessing. But instead of this blessing providing opportunity for you and providing freedom for you, even in your blessing, the enemy has figured out how to use it to imprison you. Instead of recognizing the opportunity that you have to make a difference in the world around you, You close yourself off relationally because you're convinced that the people around you just want to connect you because they want something from you. And you guard yourself because you live in fear of losing what you have. Understand this, every good and perfect gift comes from the Father of lights with whom there is no shadow of turning. And God has the ability to give over and over and over and over again. It is not his plan that you live your life worried. It is not your plan that, he, that, that you live your life stressed. And it's not God's plan that you consume all of your time chasing after that which doesn't matter. It is here today and it is gone tomorrow. No. Here's what we're told. We're supposed to redeem the time. Redeem the time. Making the most of every opportunity. I think that Shakespeare was right. Not only do I think that Shakespeare was right, I believe this. I believe that I believe that if it's possible for God to speak through an individual with a time difference of centuries. I believe that it's possible that God has a Shakespearean prophecy for you today. There is a tide in the affairs of men. I'm going to ask the tech team to put that back up on the screen. That Shakespearean quote. There is a tide in the affairs of men. Look at that. Which, taken at the flood, leads on to fortune. See, there are moments in your life that are opportune moments. Let me give you an example. 85% of unchurched people 
when invited by a friend to attend an Easter service, say yes? 85%. See, we have these moments, we, we have these opportunities. There's a tide in the affairs of men, which taken at the flood, when we, when we seize those moments of opportunity, lead on to fortune. Omitted all the voyage of their life is bound in shallows and in miseries. I'm convinced that individually and collectively that you are at such a moment. I'm convinced that this church is at such a moment. But it's, it's far too easy, it's far too easy to recognize what God is doing and to recognize God's blessing in the moment and mistake it for my own personal achievement, for your own personal achievement. And instead of walking in the wisdom that God has for us and walking in the destiny that God has determined for us, To take a selfish perspective and to say this, God, in, in this environment where I sent you moving, here's what I want you to do. I want you to speak to me. I want you to bless me. I want you to, I want you to move in me. God, I want it to be about me, 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 me. Now I've gone from Shakespeare to opera. And in, 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 that, in that posture, when I shift from being externally focused to being me focused, it's a very short journey from saying, God bless me, to saying, I'm blessed because of me. And that which God has brought into our lives to be an encouragement to us and a witness to others becomes the very thing that the enemy uses to isolate us and imprison us. The, the, the rich fool had more than enough. He had plenty of margin. And in Jesus' story, what could he have done with this amazing blessing that God brought his way? Right? Because one can plant and one can water, but only God can bring the harvest. What could he have done? How could the story have been told differently? Here's the posture that God wants us to take. He wants us to shift our focus and develop a God focus. 
That's what verse 22 says. Then Jesus said to his disciples, I tell you, don't worry about, what you'll, about your life, what you'll eat, or about your body, what you will wear. It's all about a godly focus. It's all about... It's all about godly values. It's all about embracing God's strategy. But seek ye first. The kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things. will be added unto you. You cannot go back in time. But here's what you can do. You can recognize the time that God has you in now. You cannot change your past. But you can position yourself in such a way that your present puts you right in the center of God's plan. And it positions you for the steps ahead. And here's the good news. That's exactly what God wants you to do. That's the reason why the Apostle Paul says, this one thing I do, forgetting what is behind What was behind Paul? Persecutor of Christians. Signing off on the execution of Christians. Misguided priorities. An ungodly plan that was a result of really off-base passions. This one thing I do, forgetting what is behind. Oh, Paul had reason to boast as well. Right? He could talk about the ministries that he started. He could talk about the churches that he birthed. He, he could talk about the sermons that he preached. I, I can't focus on my past failures. I can't focus on my past victories. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. You are here today and in your life the tide is rising. We gather together as a church 
And if you spent any time around Calvary, it is very evident that our tide is rising. The question is, what will you individually do with the opportunity that God has given you? The question is, what will we collectively do with the opportunity? There is a tide in the affairs of men which taken at flood leads on to fortune. We are at such a moment. You are at such a moment. Will you recognize what God is doing or instead let your focus be on trying to build bigger barns to protect that which will not last. God, I I find myself this morning in awe of you and in awe of this moment. It is an amazing thing to me, God, that you have that you have gathered us together in this place at this time to speak to us about this issue of destiny. God, I thank you that there is no person that is here by accident. But you have ordained for them to be here. You've ordained for them to experience your presence in worship this morning. You have brought us to this place to speak this word to us and speak this word over us this morning. And you wonderfully, purposefully, uniquely crafted this moment in time for each one of us to be in this spot and to give us this opportunity to reflect on our priorities. And God, I thank you that right now that the wonderful, convicting ministry of the Holy Spirit, not condemning, not guilt, but convicting and understanding and a desire to change. I thank you that the wonderful convicting ministry of the Holy Spirit is at work in each one of us right now, speaking to us about the priorities of of how we handle the resources of life, and specifically this resource of time. God, we ask that you would shift our priorities and our passion. Thank you for listening. We hope you've been blessed by the ministry of Calvary Orlando. We invite you to join us in person at Calvary Orlando for one of our Sunday morning worship experiences each Sunday at 1030 a.m. To find out more about Calvary, please visit our website at calvaryorlando.org. Here you can find our latest events and ministry opportunities. Thanks for listening and God bless.